Is this the Owens residence? I'm Mr. Belvedere. Hey there, Belvedere fans. Gosh, it's been a while since I've said that. This is Angela Bowen, the host of Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere, a Mr. Belvedere podcast. So it's been a bit since I've, you know, hung out with the Owens family. You know, Mr. Belvedere, Georgia Marsha, Kevin, Heather, and Wesley. And I'm like, you know what? There are still some episodes between season two and four that I'd like to cover. So I just kind of sprinkled them in every once in a while. And one in particular I had been thinking about wanting to do for a bit. It's from season two. It's episode 17 entitled The Will, which aired on February 7th, 1986. In this episode, Mr. Belvedere refuses guardianship of the kids, even though George and Marcia asked him to take them in case something happens to them. Let's see. So, of course, before I get into the podcast, officially, I want to let you know where you can listen to the Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere podcast. You can listen to it on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, as well as Podbean, under the Looking Back on My Wonder Years and Wonder Years podcast header, or feed. Also, if you're looking for where you can find it on social media, the Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere podcast does have its own page. It's called Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere, a Mr. Belvedere podcast. All right. I am so excited to reunite with the Owens family. I've missed them. It's been quite a while. I recently re-released the tornado episode just because, you know, with everyone being in quarantine, I just thought it'd be a nice episode of just everyone in the house together. Getting on each other's nerves <laughs> and being holed up in the basement waiting out a tornado or a tornado warning. Watch. Yeah. All right. We have the cold open here. We got Mr. Belvedere in the kitchen. He's at the kitchen table sipping tea, having his tea time. Wesley comes in with a butcher paper wrapped package that looks like it's from Madagascar as he reads, although he doesn't say Madagascar. Um, he says Madagascar. So Wesley's like, oh, aren't you going to open it? And Mr. Belvedere says, well, in a little bit. And of course, like any kid is like, well, I can open it for you. It's like, eh, that won't be necessary. Thank you. The only times a kid opens gifts is what? Their birthday and Christmas. So I'm sure any chance to open something, just the surprise of, oh, I wonder what's in here, even though it's not for me. And Mr. Belvedere's like, no need, but thanks for offering. And I love how Wesley's just standing there giving Mr. Belvedere the side eye. That kid just wants to rip that package open. It's almost like he needs to just to relieve himself of the anticipation. And Wesley's like, how can you just sit there and not open it and not touch it, knowing it drives you crazy? Oh, Mr. Belvedere says, because I know it drives you crazy. Because that kid is just like chomping at the bit like, I need to know what's in this package. I'm going to say, because it's been so long since I saw this episode, I think it's like imported cookies or something, maybe. Uh, Maybe not. Madagascar cookies? And Mr. Belvedere's like, you know, I may not open it till tomorrow. And Wes is like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, you might want to do that before you just rip the package open. As soon as Wesley's out the door, Belvedere is at the package. I want to see what it is. Okay, so we cut to the living room 
with George and Marsha. I guess they're on their way somewhere. George is worried they're going to miss. The game? What game? Baseball? So, of course, before they can even leave the house, it's... The phone rings and it's Estelle, um, George's cousin, Harry's wife. And, of course, George will just tell her I'm not here. Let me guess. His cousin Harry is dead. So George is like, I'm not loaning him any money because you just tell clearly this Harry has passed away. And, he, and Marcia gets off the phone just saying, hey, if you need anything, just give us a holler. We're here. And George is like, let me guess. He needs money, huh? And Marshall's like, no, he needs a pallbearer. As in he passed away. Gah. I mean, I don't see George being really broken up about it. Clearly, this is one of those cousins that only calls you out of the blue when they need something. Mr. Velvier, he got a package. Smart special delivery. Thank you, Wesley. Look at all the stamps. Says it's from Majunga, Madagascar. Yes, I see. Madagascar. Aren't you going to open it? Oh, in a bit. I could open it for you. No need, but thanks for offering. Because I know it drives you crazy. <laughs> I may not open it until tomorrow. I gotta get out of here. Come on, Marsha, we're gonna miss the game. I'm coming. Hello? Oh, yeah, hi. Yeah, hold on a minute. It's Estelle, your cousin Harry's wife? Just tell her I'm not here. Come on. <laughs> Estelle? Um, George seems to have stepped away from the house for a moment. Can I take a message? Oh, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. And I'm not loaning him any money. Shh, George. <laughs> yes, Estelle. Yeah, I understand. Okay. Now listen. If you need anything... You just let us know, okay? All right. Bye-bye. Okay, so what's Harry need this time? A pallbearer. <laughs> huh? You mean Harry's gone? Still said he died in his sleep. Well, that's a pretty safe bet. Where did it happen? On the couch or the hammock? George. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the guy never worked a day in his life. Anyway, the funeral's tomorrow, and we really should go. Yeah, I know. Hey, Mom. Hi, Dad. Hello. Hey, kids, your mom and I are going to have to drive up to Titusville tomorrow. Yeah, Cousin Harry died. Oh. Was he the one who used to take his teeth out and put them in backwards? <laughs> no, that's your Uncle Bob. He's being looked after. Oh, wait, I remember now. He's the fat little guy with the mustache, right? No, that's your Aunt Rose. Come on. What? Hey, Mr. Belvedere. Hi. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's a little something from the Mugwanda tribe off the east coast of Africa. Hey, Mr. Belvedere, there's two guys outside with a giant box and he's got happy birthday written all over it. Hey, you never told us it was your birthday. Well, it's not yet. I don't want people to make such a fuss about it. Yeah, well, this one says it's from Kashmir. Ooh, maybe it's a giant sweater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. 
Somehow, I doubt it. <laughs> so, Marcia tells him that Harry passed away in his sleep. And, of course, George is kind of making jokes. Like, oh, wow, what a way to go. Did it happen on the sofa or the hammock? It's like, oh, my gosh. So, of course... Marcia suggests they go to the funeral. I really think it would be good if we go. And in comes Kevin and Heather, and they're trying to figure, like, who this Uncle Harry is. Like, oh, is he the uh, one who always takes out his teeth and puts them in backwards? And they're like, no, that's uh, Cousin Bob, who's uh, being looked after, <laughs> apparently. Um, and of course, like, oh, is it, Kevin's like, oh, is it that the big, short, fat guy with the mustache? And of course, <laughs> George is like, no, that's your, what do you say, your Aunt Rose or something like that? Like, oh my goodness. So, Mr. Belvedere's got some kind of brown, oblong, statuous artifact from Madagascar, and... Once George and Marshall leave, because he's, he's so like, I've got to get to the game. We've got to get to the game. So they leave, and they, they also say they're going to go to, it sounded like they said Typhus or something, but some Typhusville or something like that. And after they leave, Wesley runs in and says, oh, there's a big old box out there, Mark, happy birthday. And Kevin's like, Mr. Belvedere, you didn't tell us it was your birthday. And Mr. Belvedere's like, yeah, but I just, I don't want a big fuss. And they're like, but we like you, Mr. Belvedere. And, um, you, I was surprised to hear that bellowing of an elephant. I'm like, what? They gave an elephant? They shipped it to Pittsburgh? <laughs> we don't see the elephant, but we hear it. So, Wesley, of course, is sad because they have to get, had to give Saji the elephant away because Pittsburgh, the suburbs, it's not zoned for elephants. Neither was the Simpsons when Bart got stampy. They had to send him to a reserve. And he says the zoo would be a much better place for Serge, Sarge, Sergi, whatever. Wesley, of course, is like, hey, he was just a little baby, though. He could have slept in my room. I don't think so, because he wouldn't have made it up the stairs without crushing them. So, Heather's like, but what would you do with him when he grows up and weighs a couple tons? And Wesley just looks at Heather like, I don't know, the same thing we'll do with you. So we get a fat joke. Oh my gosh, the 80s and the fat jokes with the siblings are just... <laughs> Her and Tracy Gold... Um, growing pains. Speaking of growing pains, um, there is an episode where Tracy Wells guest stars on an episode of Growing Pains and actually is going to go out with Ben, even though she's like 18 and Ben's like 13. <laughs> she kind of laughs it off and just rolls her eyes, so she's being a good sport about it. But Wesley just wants to know when Mr. Belvedere's birthday is like, hey, you've been here almost a year, so you and you haven't had one yet, so you should be having a birthday soon. And Mr. Belvedere's like, well, I'm surprised at you, Wesley. You are definitely maturing. And he's like, great. So, when's your birthday? Gee, Mr. Belvedere, I still don't see why we couldn't keep him. Because this neighborhood is not zoned for elephants. <laughs> anyway, Saji will be much happier at the zoo. He was just a baby. He could have slept in my room. 
Wesley. I would have walked him. Yeah, but what would you have done when he grows up and weighs a couple tons? I don't know. Same thing we'll do with you. <laughs> so when is it? When's what? Your birthday. I mean, it's got to be soon. After all, you've been here almost a whole year and haven't had one yet. That's excellent reasoning, Wesley. It shows you're maturing. Thanks. So when's your birthday? <laughs> That's for me to know and for you to find out. So we go to the living room where Marcia's got one of those metal lock boxes where you put all your important papers, you know, your marriage license and your insurance papers and all that stuff, life insurance and whatnot. And George is like, oh, what are you doing? She's like, yeah, I'm just going through all our important papers. And George is like, oh, let me guess, nothing good on TV, huh? And she's like, you know, um... Estelle has been going through Harry's stuff and his estate, he left it a mess. And George is like, what estate? They lived in a trailer. And the guy never worked a day in his life, apparently. Gosh, you want to know who this reminds me of? Eddie from uh, (laughs) National Lampoon's Vacation. Cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's Vacation. Good golly. Whew. So Marcia tells him that we really, we don't have a will and we need to make one. If something happens and we don't have one, like, what's going to happen to the kids? And and George is like, no, I don't want to do that because as soon as you get done writing it, someone's reading it. Basically, it's almost like he's saying it's bad luck or it's like a, basically a death wish. Like, if you write it and then, who knows, you're going to be in an accident and you'll be dead. Or you could wind up on life support and someone's going to have to pull the plug. Someone's going to, one of your three kids is going to have to be make that decision. What if you don't want to be kept on life support? You're going to leave that up to your kids? What if they want to keep you on life support and you're just basically going to be a vegetable the rest of your life? Don't you want to have to, the right to make the decision for yourself instead of having your kids do it? I don't know whether or not Marcia's going to bring that fact up, but, you know, that's another thing. Not just about if something happens to you early on and where your kids are going to go. If you're left in a state where you can't make a decision about whether you live or die, your kids are going to be the next one to have to make that decision, or the hospital's going to make it for them. So, Wesley's on the phone... Trying to get a hold of uh, someone named Jamal in Madagascar who sent that package to Mr. Belvedere. Okay, if you thought calling another state or even outside of the city was expensive in, in the 80s, try calling out of, out of the country. Think about it, that's pretty much a one-income family with just George is the only one that's working. Because Marsha's still doing her law school thing in season two. And, of course, he's on the phone as Mr. Belvedere is coming up from the basement. He is, Wesley is that desperate to find out when Mr. Belvedere's birthday is that he's willing to call another country based on the return address of that package that Mr. Belvedere got. So, Wesley's like, yeah, I've been calling around trying to find out when your birthday is. And, of course, Mr. Belvedere's like, who else have you been harassing? 
So Wesley called the guy who sent Mr. Belvedere the elephant, the elephant, but apparently he was uh, out with his wives. <laughs> Wesley even says he tried to call the Queen of England, but she couldn't come to the phone because she was on the throne. So Mr. Belvedere pretty much tells Wesley that his birthday is his own business. And Wesley's like, well, no, you said that your birthday was for you to know and me to find out. So that's what I'm doing. He picks up the phone and starts dialing again and sticks out his tongue at Mr. Belvedere. <sighs> Only Wesley would be this perturbed that Mr. Belvedere is not revealing his birthday. I mean, I don't see Kevin and Heather, like, calling out of the country. So Wesley... Starts calling the Department of Immigration. I'm like, whoa, we haven't gotten to that part in season three when he actually does get Mr. Belvedere deported. Which I've already covered that two-part episode with Doris Roberts from Everybody Loves Raymond playing a judge in that episode of Mr. Belvedere, The Deportation, parts one and two. Oh, uh, hi, honey. Um... Harry's service starts at noon tomorrow, so I think we better leave here by 9.30 the latest. Fine. What you doing? Oh, just going through some of our important papers, insurance policies, stuff like that. Nothing on TV? Still said that with Harry dying suddenly, he left their estate in a big mess. What estate? They live in a trailer. <laughs> George, I just think it makes sense for us to be prepared in case something happens. What do you mean prepared? We don't have a will. I don't want one. Come on, George. Wills are bad luck. You know, sooner get done writing it, somebody's reading it. <laughs> Hello, is this Madagascar information? I need the number of Jamal Hakim Utu. <laughs> what do you mean, which one? Lizzie. Gotta go now. Bye. What are you up to? I've been calling around, trying to find out when your birthday is. I see. And who else have you been harassing? Well, I called the guy who sent you the elephant, but he was out with some of his wives. And I tried to call the Queen of England, but they said she couldn't talk because she was on the throne. Wesley, my birthday is my business and none of your concern. Mr. Belvedere, that is not fair. You said your birthday was for you to know and me to find out, and that's all I'm doing. <laughs> Hello, is this the Department of Immigration? <laughs> it's tomorrow. Satisfied? So Mr. Belvedere grabs the telephone out of Wesley's hand and slams it down and is like, all right. My birthday's tomorrow. Are you satisfied? And we just see Res Wesley with this big grin on his face. So now we're going to move to the living room. We have George and Martha sitting at the dining room table going over George's will. Not Marsha's. George. So Marsha's just kind of saying how if anyone's got a problem with the will, say one of the kids, then George is going to just leave that person a dollar. And of course, Marcia says she put that in there just in case Wesley gets any funny ideas. Like, oh, I should get more of the baby of the family. Dad loves me best or something to that effect. Who knows? So she says, look it over. And if you like what you see, then we'll go and have it witnessed, you know, notarized, and it'll be finalized and done. 
And George, of course, is like, okay, well, what about uh, your will? And she's like, oh, <laughs> no, not me. I, I, I don't need one right now. And I just kind of think, I don't think George and Mar Marsha are that far apart in age. I'd say maybe, what, maybe five years at tops? I wouldn't think they're a decade age difference. Oh, her wording, like, oh, that we're, you're all set to go, as in, you can pass away. <laughs> he's like, uh, excuse me? Yeah, he's like, what about your will? Don't you need one? And she's like, oh, no, not me. <laughs> not yet. Like, <sighs> you should both have a will. And of course, this is probably the thought process back in the day is... It's always assumed that the man is going- the husband is going to go first, so... Marcia just keeps digging herself into a hole here with just saying, you're all set to go! I just assumed that you'd go first. So, she says that she'll draw up a will and leave everything to her husband. Well, if her husband dies first, then she's going to have to go back and change that will. Otherwise, those kids don't get anything. George gets up from the table and says, Hey, honey, look at the bright side. Maybe we'll both go together. And that gets Marcia thinking, like, Oh, no, what if that actually does happen? They're kind of thinking, like, Who's going to raise the kids? And George is like, Wolves? Kevin is, what, 17? Almost 18? He's almost a legal adult. By that, he... he I think it's more like Heather and Wesley. But even Heather's, like, what, 15, 16? She doesn't got much time until she's a legal adult. So really, I think the only one you got to worry about is Wesley. He definitely would need some strict looking after. So, yeah, Marcia's like, well, what if we go, what if something happens to us tomorrow? And George is like, hey, we wouldn't have to go to Harry's funeral then. And she's like, no, I'm serious. Who would raise the kids? We got to think of somebody. And in pops Mr. Bel Belvedere to tell them that dinner is just about ready. And they both look at him. It's like, uh, George, like, oh, oh, hell no. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't put that on your hired help. Hey, if something happens to me, you're gonna, I want you to raise my kids. Clearly, George and Mar Marsha are just only siblings. Their parents are most likely all dead. They have no grandparents, no cousins, no nieces, nephews, none, none, none of that, none of that. So the only person they can think of is Mr. Belvedere. He's only been with them for a year. That is a lot to put on your hired help, even regardless of how long their time with you has been. I, George Owens, also state, if any heir or any person should contest this will, or any part thereof, I bequeath to that person the total sum of one dollar. Now, that's the no contest provision. I put it in in case Wesley tries something. <laughs> Good idea. All right, well, you just look it over, and if it seems okay, we'll have it signed and duly witnessed, and then you're all set to go. <laughs> What about you? Huh? I mean, your will. Don't you need one, too? Oh, oh, no, not me, honey. No, not yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm, no, I mean, I always assumed that you'd be the first to... Uh, you know... You need to stop putting your foot in your mouth. Have dirt thrown on me? <laughs> You're right. I'll draw up a will for myself and leave everything to you. <laughs> hey, come on, honey. Look at the bright side. Maybe we'll both go together. 
You know, George, that could happen. Oh, come on, Marsha. What if it did? What if something happened to us tomorrow? Well, we wouldn't have to go to Harry's funeral. <laughs> I'm talking about the kids. Who would raise them? I don't know. Wolves? <laughs> hey, lighten up. It's not going to happen. We'd both feel better if we decide on someone. Like who? Dinner will be ready in 20 minutes, Mrs. Owens. George, go and wash your hands. <laughs> I just thought of the opposite scenario with the plot to Different Strokes, where Mr. Drummond's housekeeper passes away, and she leaves her two sons in his care because, of course, they don't have family. They don't have a father. They don't have aunts. None of that. None of that. So it's kind of interesting how... George and Marcia's situation is kind of being flip-flopped where it's the housekeeper looking for someone to take over, you know, care for children. And boom, you got the plot to different strokes. (laughs) Oh, now it's after dinner. We got Kevin and Wes washing and drying the dishes. Heather's at the table. What is she looking through? A fashion magazine? I doubt she's looking through a cookbook. And Wesley's like, hey, Heather, want to give us a hand? She's like, no, no thanks. He's like, well, you're a girl. This should be your job. And I'm like, oh, oh, Wes. Oh, Wesley. It is so the 80s (laughs) with that thinking. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I do the dishes. Let me tell you. That is my job. I do the dishes. Jeremy does the laundry. Works out great. Works out great. I don't need to go down to the basement because I don't like it down there. I only go down there to put food in the, fr- you know, groceries in the freezer. That's about it. So, Heather, of course, is trying to come up with some ideas for Mr. Belvedere's birthday now that Wesley has weaseled the date out of Mr. Belvedere. Practically threatening him with deportation. Like, tell me your birthday or I'll have you deported. So Wesley's like, yeah, I already decided that. It's going to be an English party with, you know, tea and cakes and bad food. And Wesley's like, oh, and for entertainment, we'll all dress up like women. And I'm like, Wait, what? So that's his interpretation of what England's like? Oh, he must mean, like, the powdered wigs or, like, the way back in the day with, like, you know how the judges had those fake, like, white, like, wig things, whatever they are. Yeah, those. He clearly is getting his information from, like, history books or something. Like, or a book on England. Like, pictures of, like, dukes and duchesses from, like, the 16th and 17th century. Oh, no, he says, that's what Benny Hill does. <sighs> so Kevin reminds Wesley, it's like, hey, I thought Mr. Belvedere didn't want you making a big deal out of this. And, of course, Wesley thinks, like, anyone who's ever been told, don't make a big fuss about my birthday. Like, yeah, he he said that, but, you know, he really wants me to. So I'm going to do it anyway, because we care about Mr. Belvedere. We love him. I swear there is an episode in season, like, three, four, five, six, one of them, where Mr. Belvedere says he doesn't want a big party, he doesn't want a big, you know, bunch of attention, but secretly he wants that, and everyone just is like, well, you said you didn't want 
attention in, in a party, so we didn't. I swear that's an episode down the road. Real quick, going back to Marcia saying, oh, I'm talking about the kids who would raise them, and I'm just like, they'll raise themselves. Have you seen Party of Five? Oh, you haven't because it won't come out for at least another decade. <laughs> hey, you want to help a little? No, thanks. Come on, you're the girl. It should be your job. Hey, I'm trying to come up with some ideas for Mr. Belvedere's birthday. I already decided. It's going to be an English party. You know, with all the tea and candy and bad food. And then for entertainment, we'll all dress up like women. <laughs> That's what Benny Hill does. Wes, I thought Mr. Belvedere said he didn't want you to make a big deal out of this. He only said that because he really wants me to. I know how his mind works. <laughs> okay, okay. Hey, what about, um, what's her name? You know, uh, Sheila. Uh, your cousin from Vegas. Kevin's crazy about her. George, she's a hooker. <laughs> oh, right. Look, you know uh, Mr. Belvedere's the right choice. The kids love him and he's practically one of the family. You've only had him over right. here. You're right. You're right. Hey, Dad, will you go to liquor store and buy me a bottle of rum? I always thought uh, scotch was your drink, Wes. <laughs> it is, but this is for Mr. Belvedere. Yeah, we're going to make him some grog to have with his steak and kidney pie. Listen, kids, there's something we want to talk to you about. Now, we're both fine, and there's nothing to worry about, but your father and I are drawing up our wills. Can I have your power tools? No. <laughs> the thing is, if something were to happen to me and your father, we want someone we trust to take care of you, and we think that person should be Mr. Belvedere. So, what do you guys think of that? Sure, that'd be neat. Fine with me. What about your cousin Sheila? No, Thanks for doing the dishes, children. Boy, Mr. Belvedere, your mom and dad have a surprise for you. Wes. Come on, tell him, Dad. Well, All right. Put him on the spot. All right. Look, Belvedere, in the uh, year or so you've been here, it's kind of obvious to me and everybody that you've become more than just a guy who cleans up after us. Am I getting a raise? <laughs> no. Oh. What I'm really trying to say is, uh, Marcia and I have been thinking about the future, and if, God forbid, something happened to the both of us, we'd be honored if you'd take Heather and Wes and Kevin here. No, no, no. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. So, yeah, let's go back to in the living room where George and Mar Marsha are trying to decide, like, do we know anyone that could take the kids other than Mr. Belvedere? And George is like, hey, what about your cousin Sheila? Kevin's crazy about her. And I love Marsha's response, like, oh, yeah, because she's in Vegas. And Marsha's like, George, she's a hooker. And I just laughed my Oh, no wonder Kevin's crazy about her. So Marcia's like, honey, look, Mr. Belvedere is obviously the best choice in this scenario. So they call the kids in who are looking to get, uh, Wesley wants to get some 
rum. Like, Dad, take me to the liquor store and get me some rum. And George is like, oh, well, I always thought that's uh, scotch with your drink, Wes. And it's like, oh, it's not for me. It's for Mr. Belvedere. And I'm like, he drinks? I mean, he drinks tea. I don't know. I can't see Mr. Belvedere being into the hard liquors. I don't know. He just... I don't even... I, I can't see him drinking a beer either. Or having a shot somewhere to buy... No, I mean, I see Belvedere is like, you know, a refined gentleman. You know, he drinks the tea. Gosh, what type of thing is there that's alcohol-based that is for people that are kind of... Wine, right? Maybe like some wine? I mean, maybe some sangria or some rosé or some white Zinfandel. I'm just going based on stuff that I used to remember selling to people when I worked at Rite Aid. <laughs> I don't know my alcohols. I don't drink. So, that, I don't know. I just, I think, I see Belvedere and I see a guy who likes his biscuits and his tea and, you know, every once in a while a nice little glass of wine. Um, but I don't see him into hard liquors like rum, whiskey, or, um, scotch or any of those hard ones so yeah heather says they're gonna make him like a kidney pie and um some other english type thing what did she say like uh ganache or something um anyway george and marcia bring it up to the kids like now don't worry don't we're not dying we're 100 percent fine but in the situation, if it ever were to occur, if we both went at the same time, would you, who would you like to watch over you? And of course, Kevin's like, hey, what about your cousin Sheila? It's like, no, Kevin, no. And they're like, well, what about Mr. Belvedere? Would you be okay with him raising you? And I'm just like, Kevin is almost a legal adult. But then again, I think it's more with... Heather and Wes especially. And they're like, yeah, that would be great. So Mr. Belvedere comes in to let them know dinner's ready. And Wesley's like, hey, guess what, Mr. Belvedere? Mom and Dad have a surprise for you. And <clears throat> March is like, Wes, it's like, they didn't want to bring it up to him right now. But George is like, hey, you've been here a year. You know that we feel... That you're part of our family. How would you feel if something were, God forbid, to happen to Marsha and I? How would you feel about raising the kids? And I love how Belvedere just kind of looks at the kids. And then it's like, no thank you. And he goes back into the kitchen. It's like, no, he doesn't want that responsibility. He'll clean up after them and make dinners and stuff, but he doesn't. That is a lot of responsibility. I mean, if he wanted kids, he would have had some. And even though he's been with a family a year, that's still, that's not a lot of time if you think about it. Granted, a year in TV time feels like, what, three years? So, yeah, Mr. Belvedere goes back into the kitchen and George is like, can you believe that? He doesn't want our kids. And Wesley's like, yeah, what's wrong with us? And Heather's like, it's you. You're the one who's always driving him crazy. And Wesley's like, he likes that. Like, I don't think he does. <laughs> oh my gosh, Marsha. Seriously? 
At first, it's right to me, like, okay, it's Mr. Belvedere's decision. But then she grits her teeth and puts a hand on Heather's shoulder. She says, if he doesn't want my children, it's like, whoa, Marsha, girl, calm your shit. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> the fact that you think that Mr. Belvedere is the only one that you could, c- come on. So, of course, they're all going to confront him. Like, hey, why don't you want to watch my kids if we die? Or take care of our kids if we die? Look, dude, that is his decision. He's only known you for a year, and you're throwing something major, a life-changing decision in his direction. And wanting an answer, like, on the spot. They are taking, George and Marsha, especially George, is taking such offense. You didn't even like the idea of Mr. Bell, the possibility of Mr. Belvedere raising your kids all of a sudden. It's like, what? He's not good enough for my kids. Oh, okay, so he's not good enough to raise your kids, but he is good enough to make your meals, do your laundry, clean your rooms. Why does it seem from day one or episode one that George is in a constant pissing match against Mr. Belvedere? Like, heaven forbid. Can you imagine? Take out the Mr. Belvedere scenario and let's put in Tony Maselli from Who's the Boss. No doubt. Massive pissing match right there. Why does George feel threatened by Mr. Belvedere? You're two totally different people. Who have led totally different lives. I think it's just the whole, oh, I don't like the idea of a man coming in here and doing all these things. I support my family. And it's like, dude, your wife needed some help. The guy works out fine without a problem. But it's always been, always Mr. Belvedere finds some way in George's mind to get in George's craw. It could be in just him breathing in their house is enough to set George off. But there's like, what about Mr. Belvedere's party? And Kevin's like, what about it? They're so they're so negative now. It's like, why even bother throwing him? Well, he doesn't want you to throw in anyway, but it's like, what the hell? Ruh. You and great for a little brats. Just because he doesn't want to raise you, heaven forbid, if your parents, like, get killed in a car accident tomorrow. Alyssa's like, hey, I think, I say we give him the cake, but we don't sing. He don't want no cake. He don't want no gifts. He don't want you to sing. He doesn't want any of it. So, Belvedere's, uh, gonna peace out for the night. He's like, I'm heading up to bed, uh, unless any of you need anything. And Wesley's like, an explanation would be nice. He doesn't owe you shit! You pay him to provide a service to clean your house, cook your meals, do your- I don't know, does he do their laundry? I didn't think he did the laundry. I don't know. But he doesn't owe you an explanation for why he doesn't want to raise you if your parents are dead. I would think Marsha, of all people, would understand. I mean, what is it? It's either Mr. Belvedere or throw them in a foster home? Guys, we've seen Party of Five in 94. We know that something like this could work. Kevin is almost 18. 
Granted, Charlie was 24 when his parents died. Bailey was like 16, 17. Julia was like 15. Claudia was 12. So, yeah. So Mr. Belvedere tells them, look, it's nothing personal, but guardianship is not something to be taken lightly. And the fact that they're jumping the gun, like, we gotta get it done today. We have to decide. Heaven forbid we go to that funeral and we are dead on the way back. We need to know if someone's going to raise our kids. This is, just, this is just so much to put on this man's shoulders. And he says, to be honest, I'm not prepared to accept the obligation. He does call it an obligation because in his mind it probably is. He didn't sign up. He signed up to be a housekeeper, not, not a father. Or a, a substitute father to these kids. Granted, he does give them great advice when they come to him with their problems, but George is so damn passive. He's very passive, like aggressive, a passive. And George is like, oh, it's okay with us. I mean, we were just kidding. Bullshit. If you were kidding, you wouldn't have your dander up right. And your hackles would not be raised, which they are. And he's like, right, guys? And of course, you just see Kevin and Heather like, yeah, sure. I'm kidding. They're so hurt. The kids are so hurt by the fact that, like, oh my gosh, that must mean he doesn't like us because he doesn't want to raise us if something happens. And if you think about it, they also probably feel pretty insulted. Like, oh, he's too good for us. He's too good to want to raise our kids. I just thought Marsha of all of the, of George and Marsha, Marsha's going to be the one who's going to be the most reasonable and just see that this is so out of left field absurd. <laughs> you believe that guy? He doesn't want our kids. Yeah, what's wrong with us? It's not us, it's you. You're always driving him crazy. He likes that. <laughs> Look, it's okay. This is Mr. Belvedere's decision. And if he doesn't want my children, okay, it's up to him. Relax. Sure. It's no big deal. No one wants your kids. He's not good enough for you guys anyway. In fact, I wouldn't die now if he paid me. <laughs> so what about Mr. Belvedere's party? What about it? Well, I say we give him the cake, but we don't sing. Well, I'll be toggling off to bed. Unless anybody needs anything. An explanation would be nice. Look, everybody, it's nothing personal. It's just that guardianship is not something to be taken lightly. And quite honestly, I am not prepared to accept the obligation. Hey, that's fine with us. We're only kidding. Right, guys? Yeah, yeah right. Sure. Well, good night, everyone. So now we go to the kitchen. It's the next morning. Belvedere is making scrambled eggs. There's a big old pitcher of orange juice. The table's set up. And the kids come in like, hey, Mr. Belvedere. So clearly it's his birthday because it's the next day. And the kids look like they want to ambush him. Like, why won't you raise us if our parents die or something like that? Heather goes over to him and says, happy birthday, Mr. Belvedere. And Mr. Belvedere's like, well, thank you, Heather. And she's like, that's okay. I got the short end of the straw. Oh, look, you kids. You kids. I want to slap all three of you. 
The kids sit down at the table. Belvedere comes over and says, All right, what would you fancy this morning for breakfast? Would you like scrambled eggs or waffles? And Wesley's like, Oh, well, we don't want to trouble you, so we'll just have margarine. We don't want to put you out. Are they trying to make him feel guilty? I think that's what they're doing. So, Marsha and George are getting ready to head out for the funeral that's, what, two and a half to three hours away. Kevin lets them know, I heard on the radio, there's a big snowstorm headed our way. And Marsha looks at George like, hey, do you think we should take the change? I'm I'm guessing they mean, like, tire chains to put on the tires so that way it helps get through snow. That way they're not sliding all over the road. And George is like, no, they're all tangled up someplace. I'm not going to worry about that. So they tell Mr. Belvedere they'll be back by four. And, of course, Mr. Belvedere says before George and Marsh, before George heads out the door, he's like, drive carefully. And George's response of, oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Like, you want me to be cautious and take precautions so I don't die, so you won't be obligated to raise my kids. Hi, Mr. Belvedere. Hi. Good morning, children. Happy birthday, Mr. Belvedere. Thank you, Heather. That's okay. I got the short straw. (laughs) Well, what are we in the mood for this morning? Scrambled eggs? A nice waffle? We don't want to put you to any trouble, so we'll just have margarine. Coming right up. Morning. 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 Hey, Dad, I heard on the radio it's supposed to snow today. Oh, yeah? Think we should take the chains? Oh, they're all tangled up someplace. Okay. Mr. Belvedere, we should be back by four. See you later, kids. Bye. Bye. Drive carefully. You'd like that, wouldn't you? (laughs) So, we cut to Heather in the kitchen... She's frosting a lopsided cake. Looks like someone sat on the side of it and just kind of... (laughs) The air just... (laughs) Went out of the side of it and it's lopsided. But I'm sure it'll taste just as good as a regular cake that's not lopsided. Of course, we also notice out the windows that snow is coming down pretty good. Even Wesley's like looking at her cake like the... What did you do? I give you one job to make his cake, and you can't even do that right, Heather. I love how his head is, like, cocked to the side, like, uh, this is his cake? Are you sure? It's like, look, Heather, uh, just because we're mad at Mr. Belvedere doesn't mean you have to go and ruin his cake. And she's, like, clueless, like, oh, what do you mean? It's like, look at it, girl! Step back and look! Doesn't it look a little, uh, lopsided, lopsided crooked? I know she's frosting it, but seriously, it's like, what's this, like, didn't you do this on purpose? She's like, uh, no. <laughs> she's like, no, and he's like, he puts it, Wesley puts a hand on her shoulder, like, ah, then great job. <laughs> oh, Kevin comes back, he's got Mr. Belvedere's gift, and Mr. Belvedere, I guess, has been sent to the movies, like, he's not gonna get any idea, like, oh, it's my birthday, I wonder if they're making me a cake and getting me a gift. So, Wes is like, hey, are we going to give him the gift? And Kevin's like, come on, Wes, it's his birthday. Yeah, you guys need to lay the hell off. Kevin's like, besides, we can't return it. What? I bet it's like a pocket watch, maybe. With his name engraved on it, maybe? 
Wesley's like, no, I mean it's too little a present for someone who wants to abandon us. So this is a guilt birthday gift. Because Heather's like, yeah, but when he sees it, he'll feel terrible. What? What? Kids! Oh my gosh. Your logic of thinking is just out the window. Wesley's like, yeah, let's be extra special special nice to him so he'll feel like dirt. That's not how you want to make someone feel on their birthday. You want to make them feel special. You don't want to make them feel like shit. So Kevin's like, hey, where are mom and dad? And Heather's like, they're not back from the funeral yet. Kevin checks his watch and he's like, what? It's almost six o'clock. They should have been back by four. What's up with that? Well, Kevin, it's bad outside. Maybe they had to go really, really slow. And just say, like I always do when the roads are bad, say, I'll get there when I get there. Now, mind you, this is like, what, 1985-86? And there are no cell phones. You had to be extra super rich to even get one of those big brick type cell phones that had like next to no reception. And Wesley's like, it is? Hey, maybe they got caught in an avalanche or something. He just wants Mr. Belvedere to raise him. I think that's Wesley's goal. <laughs> Kevin's like, hey, Wes, I'm sure they're fine. They're just a little late. And he passes back in reassurance. Yeah, looks like Marsha and George's car is snowbound. Hi, Mr. Belvedere. Hi. Good morning, children. Happy birthday, Mr. Belvedere. Thank you, Heather. That's okay. I got the short straw. <laughs> well, what are we in the mood for this morning? Scrambled eggs? A nice waffle? We don't want to put you to any trouble, so we'll just have margarine. <laughs> Coming right up. Morning. 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 Hey, Dad, I heard on the radio it's supposed to snow today. Oh, yeah? Think we should take the chains? Oh, they're all tangled up someplace. Okay. Mr. Belvedere, we should be back by four. See you later, kids. Bye. Bye. Drive carefully. <laughs> You'd like that, wouldn't you? Mr. Belvedere doesn't mean you have to ruin his cake. What do you mean? Didn't you do this on purpose? No. Oh. And great job. I'm back. Where's Mr. Belvedere? I sent him to the movies. Did you pick up his present? Yep, got it right here. So we're going to give it to him or what? Well, come on, Wes, it's his birthday. Besides, we can't return it. I just mean it's too good a present for someone who wants to abandon us. Yeah, but when he sees how nice it is, he will feel terrible. Yeah. Let's all be extra special nice to him, make him really feel like dirt. So where's mom and dad? They're not back from the funeral yet. They're not? It's almost six. It is? Maybe they got caught in an avalanche or something. No, Wes. Uh, they're just a little late. I'm sure they're fine. So, turns out, George and Marsha end up breaking uh, a panel in a the door of a diner, which they don't know. They actually walked for three 
miles. And I bet it's cold. Their car probably got stuck. And George is like, oh, because it's dark when they get in there. It's like, hey, look for a light, honey. And he's like, hey, this place has been boarded, probably boarded up for years. And Marcia ends up going over to the jukebox and just all of a sudden, boom, the lights all pop on. Oh, okay, so they didn't turn on the lights and everything? Someone else supposedly might have? Because Marcia's like, oh, it must still be open. Hello? Anyone here? Don't don't be afraid. We're friendly. And George is like, Marcia, our car broke down, not our flying saucer. So... <laughs> George goes to cover the hole that he broke through that glass panel in the door to get in there. And Marshall's like, can you find something to cover that hole? And he finds a sign that says, uh, apparently the owner of the restaurant diner is someone named Zach, who had the place taken over due to uh, tax issues. And how is the electricity still on and everything unless it just recently happened oh well George answered my question as he said the same thing I was saying it's like oh probably must have just happened because the everything's still on so he tells Marsha you need to get out of those wet clothes I'm gonna go check the back see if there's anything we can change into guess I bet they're gonna be changing into whatever work attire is in the back. So I'm guessing George is gonna be dressed up with a uh, paper hat, may or maybe a chef's hat, and Marcia's gonna be wearing a waitress uniform. Oh, oh, God. oh thank God! I thought we were gonna freeze out there. I'm still freezing. Uh, I must have walked three miles. Uh, uh, see if you can find a light. Oh, forget it, honey. Nothing's gonna work. This place has probably been boarded up for years. Don't be scared. We're friendly. Marsha, our car broke down, not our flying saucer. George, <laughs> cover up that hole with something. Yeah. Uh. Hey, look at this. Seems old Zach here had his place closed by the tax man. Oh, yeah? Probably just happened. That's where everything's still going. <laughs> hey, come on. You better get out of those wet clothes. I'll check the back. Maybe there's some stuff we can change into. Okay. And why don't you see if you can scare us up some coffee? Yeah. Um. <laughs> no problem. Is this diner run by a ghost? Because <laughs> George heads to the back and says, like, Hey, honey, make us up some coffee, will you? She goes over to the coffee machine already automatically is like, Coffee just starts pouring into the coffee pot. I'm like, okay, this place is clearly run by a ghost. Because what the hell? <laughs> so now we're going to go back to the Owens house. We got Kevin on the phone with the state police. Unfortunately, they can't help him. They, all they say is it's snowing. People, are, if they're on the road, they're probably stuck somewhere. 
And Heather's like, worst case scenario, like, oh my gosh, I saw this movie once where this... So yeah, she's like, because Kevin tells her that the state police said cars are stranded all over the road. And Heather's like, oh my gosh, they could freeze to death. What if they're starving? I saw this movie once. Where these people crashed in the Andes and started eating each other. Okay, you clearly watched the movie alive. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who's just eaten because... <laughs> we actually... um In ninth grade English class, I remember they showed the movie. And there's a scene, if you haven't seen it, there's a scene where this guy's like got a pipe in him. Like in his stomach. And this guy pulls it out. And I just screamed. And then... Teacher paused the movie and the lights went up and he's like, "Who did that?" Like, ah. and the movie is you should. That is, if you don't have a strong stomach, I wouldn't recommend watching that film. It's based on a true story. Actually, if you want to read a good trilogy, um, young adult book about a natural disaster, it's called. Let me get. It's called Ashfall by Mike Mullen. So, let me read the synopsis real quick and get back to the episode. Under the bubbling hot springs and geysers of Yellowstone National Park is a supervolcano. Most people don't know it's there. The caldera is so large that it could be seen from a plane or satellite. It just could be overdue for an eruption, which would change the landscape and climate of our planet. For Alex, being left alone for the weekend means having the freedom to play computer games and hang out with his friends without hassle from his mother. Then the Yellowstone supervolcano erupts, plunging his hometown into a nightmare of darkness, ash, and violence. Alex begins a harrowing trek to search for his family and finds help in Darla, a travel partner he meets along the way. Together, they must find the strength and skills to survive and outlast an epic disaster. It is so good. I just wish the author would eventually write that uh, fourth book. So, there's Ashfall, Ashen Winter is the sequel, and then, of course, Sunrise is the third book. And eventually, I'm hoping he'll write Blades of Spring. But Heather is just freaking out. I love how Wesley just, like, takes his cup of water and just throws it right in Heather's face. Like, Heather, relax. It's going, like, way out of left field, worst case scenario. I love how he's so calm. He's like, Heather, getting hysterical is not going to help anything. So, Mr. Belvedere comes back to the movie. He's like, alright, the birthday boys arrived. Time for the party. This isn't it, is it? Because... All three kids are sitting around the kitchen table with a lopsided chocolate frosted cake. So, Kevin jumps out of his chair and is like, Mom and Dad aren't back yet. Heather's like, we called Cousin Estelle and they, she said that Mom and Dad left five hours ago. And, of course, Mr. Belvedere's like, well, I wouldn't worry. They're probably just stuck somewhere. So, of course, Mr. Belvedere is like, well, don't worry about it. Just make a call to the state police. And Kevin's like, I already tried that. They said there's nothing they can do. Other kids are just freaked out. The idea that their parents could be dead somewhere in a snowstorm. So Mr. Belvedere's like, I'm sure they're fine. And Wesley's like, what difference does it make to you? Mom and Dad could be popsicles for all you care. Wesley says, we'd all end up in an orphanage and you'd just laugh and go back to England. So Mr. Belvedere says to Kevin... Kevin, get the chains, and Wesley's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Belvedere, I didn't mean to talk bad. I love Mr. Belvedere, how he just rolls his eyes. Like, oh, God. 
They're for the car, you little twerp. <laughs> Wesley thought he was going to be chained up. <laughs> like, all right, let's go find your parents. Okay. Okay, I understand. Yeah. Thank you, Sergeant. So what the police say? The snow's real bad up north and there's cars stranded all over the highway. Oh my god, they could freeze to death. Heather. What if they're starving? I mean, I saw this movie once where these people crash in the Andes and they started to eat each other. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Heather, getting hysterical isn't going to help anything. <laughs> the birthday boy's back. You may stop the party. Or is this it? Mom and Dad are back yet. What do you mean? We called Cousin Estelle and she said they left over five hours ago. Well, no need to carry on. We simply put through a call to the state police. No, we already did that. They said there's nothing they can do right now. Oh. Well, I'm sure your parents will be fine anyway. What difference does it make to you? Mom and Dad can be popsicles for all you care. And we'd wind up in an orphanage and you'd just laugh and go back to England. Kevin, get the chains. I'm sorry, Mr. Belvedere. I didn't mean to talk bad. <laughs> there for the car, you little twerp. <laughs> now let's go and find your parents. Coffee's ready. So, of course, what did Georgia Mar Marsha find to change into? Marsha's dressed like a waitress, and George is dressed like a cook. Oh my gosh, the phone is ringing. Honestly, the diner is set up like a 50s or 60s diner. We got iced tea, hot chocolate, coffee. So the phone rings and it's the auto club, I guess, probably trying to uh, suss out their situation and say they got their car out of a snowbank. Uh, pretty much, well, Marsha ends the call by saying, okay, we'll be here. And she tells George. They said they'll get to us as soon as they can because they probably got to rescue a shit ton of other people that have slid off the road. So George asks if she's gotten through to the kids and she says, I tried. First there's a busy signal, then no one answered. So she was probably trying to call when Kevin was on the phone with the state police. And being this is the 80s, there isn't anything like call waiting, um... They don't have a color ID of any kind to tell them, like, oh, you're getting a call from so-and-so. Or you get... Well, she's calling from a payphone, so odds are, even if they did have color ID, they wouldn't recognize the number and they probably wouldn't pick up anyway. So, Marcia says she's getting a little hungry, and he's like, okay, let's look at the... Oh, it says... Oh, he's wearing Zach's uniform. So, he looks at the menu and says, roast beef and mashed potatoes, 69 cents. No wonder the guy couldn't pay his taxes. Of course, George goes in the back, looks in the freezer, and <laughs> he's like, wow, this place is Lord, I'm going to make us up some burgers. And Marcia found some crackers, and she's like, let's keep track of everything so we can pay for it. And he's like, fine. The register is old as fuck. It's like from something out of the 50s. Like I said, it's a 50s restaurant. Oh my gosh, there's an actual customer there. Shit! Oh my god, now they're gonna... I can imagine other people that have been snowbound are gonna take refuge in this place. And they're actually going to have to run the restaurant. That's what I'm thinking. He's ready! Boy, it feels good to have some dry duds on <laughs> Hello? Yeah! Hi. Is that the auto club? Yes. All right. <laughs> we'll be here. They said they'll get to us as soon as they can. Sensational. 
you get through to the kids? I tried, but the line was busy. Then there was no answer. I'm getting a little hungry. How about you? Yeah. Why don't we take a look at the menu? Hmm? <laughs> Let's see. Hot roast beef sandwich and mashed potatoes. 69 cents. No wonder the guy couldn't pay his taxes. <laughs> I want to check the freezer. See if there's something still in there. Okay. Oh, I, f I found some crackers. Hey, this thing is loaded. I'm going to put us on a couple of burgers, okay? All right, but let's keep track of everything we eat so we can pay for it. Fine. <laughs> Boy, that's really something out there tonight. Uh, uh, give me a cup of coffee and let's take a look at the menu. Um, I get real work here. Hi, bud. Uh, what's good tonight? Roast beef looks good. <laughs> You're on. Okay. <laughs> oh my God! Where's my toast? Oh, uh, coming right up. Miss, I'm ready to order now. Order up. Um, I'll be right with you. George, what are we doing? I don't know about you, but I'm making a cheese omelet. I said, hold the cheese. <laughs> this is insane. Marsha, it's a little late to start telling these people we don't work here. Yeah, really. That's true. And besides, they're stuck here just like we are, and they're hungry, too. So let's just make the best of it. We're just helping people out. Oh, hey, my eggs are runny. So's your nose. So blow. Spooky, we're never going to find him. Come on, children, sit down and get warm while I use the phone. Hey, look, there's Mom. Yeah, and she's a waitress. <laughs> Working our way through college. <laughs> Mr. Belvedere. Mom. Hi, Mom. <laughs> George, Mr. Belvedere Mom. and the kids are here. Oh, yeah. What are you guys doing here? We came to save you. Huh? When you didn't come home, we got worried. Boy, we thought Mr. Belvedere didn't want us. First chance you get, you guys run off and open your own business. Can I get some coffee, please? Miss, I had a salad coming. We'll talk about this during our break. You kids. Come on, Marsha. Come on, Yeah? Well, the kitchen's all spick and span. Mm -hmm. Everything's back pretty much the way we found it. Perhaps we better move before we get hit by the after-theater crowd. <laughs> it's almost midnight. It is? Dad, Auto Club says they got your car out and they're towing it right over. Oh, great. Come on, children. Let's get ready to go. Uh, come on, George. Let's uh, go and change. Yep. Wait a minute. If it's almost midnight, that means Mr. Belvedere's birthday is almost over. Wesley. I mean, we might as well give him his present. Happy birthday, Mr. Belvedere. We were going to wrap it, but we didn't. Thank you. Pocket watch. I kind of think yes, it I might see. be. Yeah, and there's an inscription, too. To Mr. Belvedere, from Kevin, Heather, and Wesley, your friends forever. Oh. You can have that part scraped off if you want. <laughs> Wesley, have you ever stood on the top of Mount Haltia in Finland? And watch the northern lights go dancing in the sky? Mm -mm. Neither have I. <laughs> but according to my schedule, I should have been standing there three months ago. What do you mean? I mean, I got shanghaied by a certain family in Pittsburgh. And somehow, in spite of myself, they've all become very dear to me. 
So what you're saying is, you want to go, but you can't because we're all so wonderful, right? Well, not you specifically. <laughs> Look, the point is, each day I stay, it just seems that much harder to leave. Mr. Belvedere, you can leave whenever you want. We won't like it, but we'll understand. Sure, I'll help you pack. <laughs> it's those snotty little remarks I cherish most. <laughs> Oh, hey, the uh, tow truck's here. Oh, good. Well, just tell him we'll be right out. So the mountain over in Finland? Mm -hmm. Think there's room on top for all of us? I suppose there'll have to be. Oh, yeah, they got their first customer, some guy who wants some coffee, and also he wants to look at the menu. And George and Marsha, Marsha's, like, holding silverware. And she's just like, oh, I, okay, I guess we're doing this. And she sets it down. The guy takes the menu. And it's like, oh, he thinks we work here. What are we going to do? It's like, well, I guess you're going to start cooking food. Because the next scene, the place is filled with other snowbound uh, ne'er-do-wellers. So, yeah, I'm like, oh, where's my toast? I'm ready to order, man. Just, ugh, this would be uh, overwhelming for anybody. It's just... Her taking orders and George making the food. And I actually like his attitude because um, Marsh is like, what are we doing? And he's like, I'm making a cheese omelet. And she's like, no, you're supposed to hold the cheese. Like, we're not, like, what are we even doing here? It's like, George says, hey, look, everyone else here is in the same boat we are. They're most likely other stragglers from their snowbound cars. Let's just make the best of it. We're helping people out. I like that attitude of George. That's great that he, like, let's just make the best of it. We can't exactly say, I mean, what are we going to tell him? We, we don't work here. I mean, we don't, but it's not going to help the situation if we let on that we don't. Of course, Belvedere and the kids show up, and Heather's like, hey, that looks like Mom. And Kevin's like, yeah, I think I see Dad over there. I love Wesley. <laughs> like, oh, first Mr. Belvedere doesn't want us, and you guys, the first chance you get, run off and open a restaurant. <laughs> so, of course, March has got to get everyone there served and... Just waiting on the tow truck to bring, bring the car to the uh, the diner. And apparently it's almost midnight. They've cleared out all the customers except for one guy. The guy who originally came in there to begin with. I think he's a ghost. Uh, <laughs> and Wesley's like, oh, Mr. Belvedere, since it's almost midnight, your birthday's almost over. Hey, let's give him your present. Let's give you your present, Mr. Belvedere. Uh, we decided not to wrap it and I I kind of figured I thought it was like a pocket watch and it's got a great inscription like to Mr. Belvedere from Kevin Heather and Wesley your friends forever oh and he says that um what he was supposed to be oh he asked Wesley if he's ever been to um Fuji so yeah let me go back over to the, okay so pretty much George and Marsha, they cleaned up, left the place the way that they found it. Belvedere is like, all right, let's get out of here before the after theater crowd arrives. Kevin's the one who got on the phone and heard from the auto club. They're going to be towing their car 
to the diner. So they'll be all set to go. Velvet is like, all right, we should get going too. As he hands Wesley his coat, hat, and scarf. And that's where Wesley's like, it's almost midnight? Well, your birthday's almost over. Let's give you your gift. The guy in the background that came in there originally as the first customer, you see him kind of in the in the corner there, and he's just kind of smiling. And as Mr. Belvedere reads the inscription to Mr. Belvedere from Kevin, West, Heather, and Wesley, your friends forever, and Wesley's like, oh, you can have that last part scratched off if you want. <laughs> oh, God. So he asks Wesley as he sits down on the stool, Wesley, have you ever sat on, what is it, Mount, on the top of Mount Hultier in Finland and watch the northern lights go dancing in the sky and what's looks like, no. Mr. Belvedere's like, neither have I. So I guess that's originally what he was planning to do three months ago. He says he got shanghaied in Pittsburgh. He says, according to his schedule, he, his original schedule, he should have been standing there three months ago. And Mr. Belvedere says, I got shanghaied by a family in Pittsburgh, and somehow, in spite of myself, they become very dear to me. Aww. So Wesley's like, alright, let me see if I understand this. You're saying you want to go, but you can't because we're all so wonderful, right? And Belvedere just looks at Wesley like, well... Not you, specifically. <laughs> and Belvedere tells them, like, the point is, the longer I stay, the harder it is for me to want to leave. And Marcia kind of comes in with, Mr. Belvedere, you can leave whenever you want. And she says, we won't like it, but we'll understand. Like, yeah, you're not shackled to that family forever. You could take off whenever. If you think about it, the show is six seasons long so that's if that's the equivalent of like six years so by that time it's like let's see 10, 11, 12, Wesley's like what at least 13 14 by the show's end and of course I can imagine the only way that Mr. Belvedere would leave if he got married and you know went on traveling and that's what he does George is like, sure, I'll help you pack. Uh, of course you would. And Mr. Belvedere's like, oh, it's those snotty little remarks I cherish most. So there's a honk from outside. Kevin looks out. It's the auto club. Bring it. They got the car there ready to go. And Wesley's putting his coat on and says to Mr. Belvedere, so, Mr. Belvedere, that mountain in Finland, you think there's room enough for both of uh, for all of us? And I love how Mr. Belvedere puts an arm around Heather and Wesley and says, well, I'm sure there would have to be, wouldn't there? And of course, we get the closing scene with Mr. Belvedere with his journal. Well, according to my new watch, it's 3.30 in the morning. Actually, it's 4. But it's the thought that counts. One minor complaint. What with all the confusion in rescuing George and Marsha from the blizzard, I almost didn't get my cake. Oh, it's a trick candle. <laughs> oh, God, it's a trick candle. <laughs> Wesley. Very funny, Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's actually four in the morning as Belvedere is writing in his journal, just saying, with all the rescuing of George and Marcia, 
Mr. Belvedere almost didn't get his cake for his birthday. We see a little chocolate cupcake with a candle, and he blows it out. And, of course, it's one of those trick candles. And he, he keeps blowing it out, and it looks like it's completely out, and then it just comes right back. And it's like, thank you, Wesley. <laughs> and that's how the episode ends. I, just, I haven't watched this in so long. And it's just, it's such a good, fun episode. That really does kind of make you think. You know, especially for those out there that have kids. Like, what happens to the kids if you don't have other relatives to take them in? I mean, not everyone has a butler like Mr. Belvedere or a Mr. Drummond from Different Strokes to lay your kids on. Like, here you go. I know they'll be in the best care. So, honestly, for the teacup writing for this one, I think, um... Hmm. I didn't see anything wrong with it. Nothing that I disliked. So I'm going to give this a 5 out of 5 teacup rating. And for Mr. Belvedere's Biscuit Bites is basically a lesson I got from the episode. So I'm going to say with this one, it's like, I know no one likes to think about dying. No one likes to think about making out a will. But you don't want to wait until you don't have time left or you're to the point where you can't even think logically as far as like if something happened and you weren't able to make out a will because you're of not of sound body and mind and having the decision made for you about where your kids are going to be so just just make the will out i know it's not it's not a fun process but it's something that needs to be taken care of do it sooner rather than later cuz you just you never ever know. And another thing is, don't just throw your Mr. Belvedere butler under <laughs> your housekeeper, whoever, like, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna take care of my kids if I die. And get angry when they say, well, I really don't feel comfortable doing that. So, yeah. Don't, don't just, that's not fair to them sure that the person you want to leave your kids to actually wants to take your kids and don't just have them thrust upon so many stories in movies tv about family member kids that oh their their parents die and then they're sent off to live with like a grandparent that they've never met before or an aunt and uncle that they don't know and their life is completely changed and uprooted sometimes for the better sometimes not so much so some of the episodes are actually a available to watch on YouTube. Um, I want to read some of the comments. I like to do that sometimes just to see what people have to say. All right. Man, Heather's icing that cake in the kitchen for a long time, yet still misses a huge spot. There for the car, you little twerp. <laughs> the 1980s had good writers. Most hilarious line when Kevin says at 221, that's the little guy with a mustache. And George says, no, that's your Aunt Rose. One of my favorite episodes. Marcia as a waitress was her destiny. 1540, LOL. Poor Tracy. Happy birthday, Mr. Belvedere. Happy birthday, Mr. Belvedere. I believe that the writers want us to speculate as to who the old man is. Perhaps he owned. I think he was the owner who like snuck in there just to see like, oh, it's good to see nice people run my restaurant. George grabs a sign from a hand 
man frosty glass who could read it from the outside. Okay. I think Mr. Belvedere was right not accepting the responsibility of the kids. Guardianship, he's still entitled to his life to be free. Plus, no kiddos. But if family, if it, I would feel so disappointed. And I've seen this happen in real life. To take care of someone else's children or lead your own life. So yeah, every once in a while, I think I want to kind of peruse through season two. Then, you know, season three and four, there's some other episodes there. As far as season five and six go, eh, we'll see. Those are kind of, I consider those two seasons the lost seasons. Like the, uh, yeah, the jumped the shark seasons of Mr. Belvedere. Yeah, there may be some good ones in there too, but yeah. So I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. I had a fun time covering it and have a good week. Bye-bye.